Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. Okay, Bobo, would you like to start this one off, or do you want me to? Go ahead. Okay. (laughs) 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 Oh, sorry about that. You're wearing your headphones, aren't you? Yeah, why? That's the downside of wearing your headphones, I guess. Oh, it was real (laughs) loud? Very good sound sound quality. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) All right. All right, here we go. Subscribe and rate it. Five stars. And beyond. The greatest podcast. Whether you're listening or watching, remember always keep it squatchy. And now your hosts, Cliff Berkman and James Bobo Fay. Bobo, good afternoon. How you doing, my friend? All right, how's it going, Cliff? Not bad. Not bad. Got a couple things I'm looking forward to now. Got Bart Coutinho coming to the house tonight. Looking forward to that. But you know, if we weren't doing this right now, I was going to try to hook up with him for lunch because I was heading down the five and he was coming up the five. Oh, you could have high-fived each other. More ways than one as you pass each other. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But So yeah, Bart's going to be at the house tonight. Going to grill him some steaks, hang out, go to the woods tomorrow with him before he goes off and does his uh, yearly Bart Fest with all of his friends up in Washington somewhere. So that's kind of cool. What are you doing? Um, heading down. I had to go get some film equipment up in Oregon, and then I'm on the coast. And now I'm heading back down to uh, Yuba City, beautiful Yuba City in the Central Valley. No kidding. What's there? Or something you can't talk about? You want it to be a surprise? No, I can talk about it. It's, it's where <clears throat> one of our main witnesses lives that we're filming. We're, we're uh, shooting. We're having Pete Travers, you know, the artist, the Bigfoot Sketch Project. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who doesn't know Pete Travers? He's been... He's fantastic. He, I, I spoke to him the other day, actually, after you called him, thinking about it. He said he'd be willing to come on the podcast sometime as well. Yeah, yeah. I talked, I talked to him about that. He's, he's hard to nail down, dude, because it took a year and a half to get him to, to get uh, lined up for this. He's so busy. Uh, well, you know, if you got him, feel free to do a podcast without me. And we do that every once in a while when our uh, guests have limited time. Uh, yeah, I know he's not going to have time for that. But yeah, Bart's going to hit me up on the way back down. We're going to do a couple nights squatching. We always get out at least a couple nights of just the two of us because you know how it is. Like the less people there, the better chance of something happening. Yeah, yeah, that's why I don't tend to go out and meet Bart on his camping trip because he has a lot of his friends along and stuff. And they're all good people. Don't get me wrong, but like I'm just not a social guy when it comes down to it, you know. So, yeah, I, I prefer the smaller groups. Yeah, I'm out there. To, I'm out there to experience a squash, not my friend, not, not a bunch of friends. Right, right. Yeah, that's what tonight's about. Going to grill some uh, steaks or whatever for Bart, hang out with them, with uh, Melissa and Bart there, and um, again, then go out tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to that. But you know what else I'm looking forward to today, Bobo, is this guest we have on because, I mean, we've been kind of pestering this guy for months and months and months to come on, and he finally acquiesced and said, yeah, okay, I'll come on. And so uh, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited to have our good friend Todd Prescott on the um, show today. Todd, of course, is um, the archivist the uh, curator of a like the john green collection and he runs the youtube channel the best bigfoot youtube channel out there i might add called the sasquatch archives by far the best yeah youtube is kind of a big stinky pile of nonsense but like this stuff is legit solid history great bigfoot um uh, well it's an archive sasquatch archives kind of says it all so uh, everybody welcome todd prescott to bigfoot and beyond Hey, Todd. How's it going, man? Hey, Todd. Hey, Cliff and Bobo. I'm, I'm humbled by your kind words. You know, I, I thank you for having me on here, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you guys about whatever. It's happening now, man. Yeah, it's happening now. I'm super excited about it um, because you are running one of the best online resources for anything Sasquatch related. And, and, and you know, there's so much online about Bigfoot, but most of it isn't really worth much. And most of it is just people talking mostly about themselves, it seems, nowadays. Um, Bigfooters love to talk about other Bigfooters and themselves, but like your stuff, 
is historical and straight to the point in a lot of ways. But you've been a Bigfooter for a lot longer than you have uh, been running the YouTube page. Can you tell us a little bit about your Bigfoot history and then we'll go into the YouTube page? Sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's only been maybe the past seven or eight years that I've really focused my time on archiving materials. I just felt there was a need for that because when I was looking for things, um, it had disappeared. Someone had trashed it or it just got lost somehow. So I thought I better start saving some of this stuff because there is some relevance and importance to it. But uh, going back with my research history, I probably started formally researching. I'm not talking about when you're a kid and you're reading library books at, at age 10. But when I formally started going out in the field looking for these hairy subjects was probably around 1989. I had the luxury of growing up on the edge of a forest, mind you, a pine forest, not known for Sasquatch sightings, but I spent a lot of my youth in that forest and, and I'm very comfortable in the forest. Um, I fear nothing but ticks. The smallest thing, uh, the most dangerous thing, um, you know, the ones that carry Lyme disease, but of course we can't discern which ones do and don't. But I did start researching um, formally in the field, looking for Sasquatch uh, around 1989. And uh, then I moved to Toronto and there wasn't a lot of Sasquatch stuff happening there. But Ontario was rich with a history of Sasquatch dating back to the early 1900s. You may know of old Yellowtop up in Cobalt, Ontario, quite uh, well-known Sasquatch up in that neck of the woods. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's such a squatchy area up there. So I was very fortunate to join a, a pop cover band um, in 1989, and we traveled all through Ontario. And Ontario is a huge province um, it, it takes you probably, if you go around the Great Lakes from Toronto, it's going to take you nearly 24 hours to get out of Ontario driving and into the next province uh, to the west, which is Manitoba, of course. So we were driving all over the place, heading up north. And if you know musicians, they, they perform late at night and they get back to their accommodations in the wee hours two or three in the morning, depending what's happening after the gig. Is there a party? Uh, is there something else going on? Uh, I, I, I played it really straight and narrow because I wanted to use my time wisely. So I did my gigs. I'd get to bed after the gig. I'd get up early in the morning and hit the local forest. If it was an area that had a history of activity, I was in heaven. I would just literally go out in the forest. This is before you know I had maps. There was no GPS, no internet, no cell phone, just get out there and do it. Hope you don't get lost. Hope you don't get turned around. Only one time I got turned around uh, and it was a bit scary because I was almost late getting back for the gig. But I did that for a couple years. And then I actually was in college and I couldn't really do much when I was in college, except for on the weekends. Sometimes I drive to uh, the Niagara region because it's it's got a lot of rich history with Sasquatch sightings and um, activity there dating back to the 60s and maybe before but at least dating back to the 60s on record and so i jumped on cruise ships worked on cruise ships even even looked on the caribbean islands looking to see if there was any activity i'd ask around and you get that sort of this guy's crazy look what's what's he smoking but you know what the heck you gotta ask right and uh then uh, I, I i scored a really good gig in british columbia which, as you know, is the mecca, considered the mecca in Canada of Sasquatch activity. Even though there's there's a longer history of reports in the East, BC is just teeming. It's rife with, you know, history, lore, activity, so many sightings. It's just conducive to Sasquatch. It's, you go there and you go, wow, if I were a Sasquatch, this is where I'd want to put my feet up and live. So I scored a gig out there in 1995 with a band that thankfully toured all over the province, again, to the northern part, to the eastern, to the western part, even on Vancouver Island. And again, uh, I did what I do best, which is get up early in the morning and get out and, and, and look around, ask the locals what's going on, any sightings. I knew my history fairly well from reading books. Uh, of course, I'd, I'd read the green books, the, the Dehinden book. And I knew of the hot spots, let's say, 
So when I ended up in Harrison Hot Springs, I went, wow, this is this is the place. Yale, Hope, BC, everywhere, Prince George, Terrace. I was all over the province. And when I ended up in Harrison Hot Springs, funny enough, I might be getting ahead of myself here, but um, I knew John Green lived there. Again, this is 1995. I knew he was there. And this is before I had a cell phone and, and the vast majority of the world didn't have a cell phone. I'm sure that there was maybe those huge cell phones going on, but I didn't have anything like that. I went to a phone booth. It was uh, one of our days off. So I drove out to Harrison Hot Springs from Vancouver, picked up, uh, went into a phone booth, looked up John Green's number. There it was, John Green. And I dialed his number and it rang two or three times. And, and get this, this is a heartbreaker. I heard someone pick up and they went hello and I knew it was green and I freaked out and I hung up on him. <laughs> <laughs> I was so starstruck. I just freaked out and went, you know what? This is not right. I shouldn't be calling this guy. I shouldn't be bugging him. He's an older man. He's already talked to a million people. What does he want with me? So I just left it at that. Um, I regret it to this day, of course, but eventually I did meet him and, and we'll get into that too. But suffice to say that uh, up until around 2015 or 16, I was mostly just doing field research uh, with some archival stuff in, in the background. But yeah, so it, archiving has, has, has taken over my life right now because there's so much to archive. When you were on tour, did you ever say from the stage to the crowd like, Anyone got a Sasquatch story? Because when we were on tour, I used to do that. I'd grab the mic and say, who's got – anyone have any Bigfoot information or sightings? And I got reports like that. Did you ever do that? You know what? I'm, I'm the guy on the drums, and, and uh, I'm not allowed to speak. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I, I really didn't say too much. But when we were on break or before the show or after the show, I asked. I asked anyone I could. When we stopped in at the 7-Eleven or stopped in at the coffee shop, I would ask. And, of course, the band, my bandmates thought I was nuts, but they saw how passionate I was about it. So believe it or not, they eventually wanted to join me on my outings. They were getting up at, at like 8 in the morning, and I remember we're getting back home 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, so we're not getting a lot of sleep if you're getting up to get ready to, to hike at 8 o'clock in the morning. But I knew I only had a, a certain window of opportunity and I couldn't go out at night uh, for two reasons, namely because I was working most of the night. And secondly, because it wouldn't be wise or safe of me to go out in the dark without a thermal imager or infrared or anything like that in British Columbia, where there are grizzlies, mountain lions and black bears. So I was smart about it. I went out in the daytime. I just felt safer. Now, with my thermal, with my infrared, I'll go out at nighttime. No problem alone. I don't care. Uh, as long as the tick doesn't get me, I'm good. But no, no, Bobo, to answer your question, I, I never announced on the mic. Um, I'm sure one of the band members probably introduced me as the Sasquatch researcher uh, one of the nights, I'm sure. There were many times when people said, yeah, you know what, uh, Uncle Billy saw a Sasquatch three weeks ago. Or, or, yeah, my wife was driving one night and she almost hit one. So it was awesome to ask. You know, you know what you call a, a drummer without a girlfriend? Homeless. Yep. <laughs> I love that joke. <laughs> What did the drummer get on his IQ test? Drool. Drool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so many great drummer jokes, of course, and guitar player jokes. I, I've probably heard them all. Oh, hilarious. Hilarious. Are you still playing? Absolutely. I, uh, I joined a new band to me back in 2019, just before the pandemic. It was just uh, shy of a year before the pandemic hit. And they gig every weekend without fail. This past weekend, I did uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, Saturday and Sunday were weddings. Friday was a club date. Uh, and then, then there was a, the week before, I did four nights in a row. So they are quite busy. Love the money. Just it eats into, it eats into my time, uh, which is unfortunate. But, it, you know, it's a way to make a living. And I love playing. I love interacting with people. So I'm definitely still, uh, still gigging out there, as us musicians like to say. Fantastic. Good job. Yeah, I, I'm not doing nearly as much as I'd like to, unfortunately. But Bigfoot's kind of taken over my time a little bit, but I try to play a little bit on the side. But that's that's for a different podcast, perhaps. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. 
Sonidos of our voices. Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso en Satélites, and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. So um, all those years doing field stuff, did you ever find anything interesting? You ever see one of these things or find some good footprints or anything like that? You've opened a can of worms there, Cliff. Um, honestly, I've had so many things happen. Uh, we needed a, a few shows to cover it all. But to be honest, and, and, and I will be completely honest, I can't say with any certainty that I've witnessed a Sasquatch. It's very possible that I did, but I didn't see enough of it to make that determination. And the circumstance was, if you care to hear, it was in, 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 in British Columbia in the uh, Sunshine Coast area, if you know that area, Seashelt. Oh, it's supposed to be spectacular. I've heard amazing reports out of the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. There is some crazy stuff going on up there. I mean, absolutely insane stuff going on up there. I don't know if it's still going on up there. I would have been there in, I'm going to say, 2006 or 2007. And I was with other people. So I know that it just wasn't me that experienced it because – there was more than one person, often three people with me when the same thing happened and we agreed what happened. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it's it's that crazy stuff that no one wants to talk about. Was that a BFRO expedition, one of those ones you're talking about? Yes, it was. It was hosted by a, a Robert Kennedy. There you go. That's the name. I was. Yeah, we met him on the 08 trip up the uh, Vancouver Island Bobo when we met Bindernoggle and stuff. He was on that trip, too. Yeah. Yeah, so so Robert uh, had a lot of stuff going on in that area, and um, I, I know what I experienced. Uh, the two people with me know what we experienced. Uh, we could all cooperate, and uh, you know, it's not like again, it wasn't just some something that happened in my mind. Um, but I probably won't do it, delve into too much of that because it's highly controversial. But uh, the more nuts and bolts stuff happened. Uh, in Ontario, thankfully, I don't have to travel to BC all the time to have activity. We like the weird stuff too. We like the, we like the controversial stuff. Well, I mean, if you want to hear it, uh, I, I can tell you a bit of it. Uh, I won't get too far into it because it, it, it create it ruffles feathers, let's say. But basically, at that time in 2005, I was not aware of eye shine or eye glow, as I like to call it. Um, and maybe I'd heard it, but I didn't pay attention to it because I figured that's impossible. How can eyes emit light? They receive light. Um, but what we saw, we don't know what it was, but there were three of us standing there late one night. It was after midnight. Uh, we were standing in the dark on one of those four service roads. No one was supposed to be out walking around at that time. We were all supposed to be um, either in our tent or on the roads, but certainly no one was supposed to be walking back in the forest and, and I highly doubt that someone was because it, it's so dangerous. If you've been out west on, on the coast, you can kill yourself walking in the dark. Um, it's just there's so much humidity and fallen debris that you, you, you think you're walking on a log and you'll fall through it and you'll, you'll, you'll break a leg. But anyways, we're standing there just talking away. And I'm facing the forest and, and we're kind of triangulated. So, so we did that so in case we heard anything or saw anything, we could – you know, not draw attention to it, just say, hey, I see something over, don't look, but I see something over or I hear something over there. And all of a sudden I see what looks like, first, my first thought is someone with a headlamp. I'm thinking, who is the idiot that's walking out there, say 300 feet or so away from us in complete darkness where I know it's really dangerous to be walking? Who is the idiot? Because it was a bright white light. And so I just casually said to the two people I was with, someone's over there with a headlamp on. And so, of course, they looked and it disappeared. Okay, well, that's weird. And then it came back. Now, this time it was two. We could see two of these bright lights. And one of the guys said, oh, it must be a, a boat on the water or a ship on the water. And I'm thinking, no, because the trees are covering the water. We can't see the water from here. And the trees are fairly thick. We were miles away from the water. So even though they're huge, you know, fir trees and they're, they're quite spaced apart when, when you've got 10,000 of them between you and the ocean, uh, you're not going to see the ocean. 
and and certainly not a ship's light at night from where we were at least because we were so far up we were we were up a mountain so we're trying to determine what it is and it stops and it starts to change color and it went from a bright white like a headlamp type deal to a yellow then to an amber and then to orange not red and it got more intense as we stared at it and it went out for a second as if to blink now i can't say again that it was eyes i can't say that it was a sasquatch that much is all i can say i I don't know what it was but it was weird because it changed color and it changed in intensity and then we saw another single light that very possibly was as people call a tree peeker because it was only one but then there were these other two that looked like eyes um was there ambient light? Well, there was a little bit of moonlight, but not much. But what was crazy was the intensity of these lights or eyes or whatever they were. They got really bright and then and then receded in brightness. And so I didn't know what I was looking at. We were perplexed. So we got on the radio and we, uh, we said, we saw some weird lights over here. Is anyone walking over in the forest? Who's the idiot doing that? And next thing we know, <laughs> Moneymaker comes flying down one of these roads in his rented Hummer, ripping like a million miles an hour with his high beams on. He's just clocking it like like he's being chased by a Sasquatch. And we hear him tearing up the road. And we didn't know who it was. We thought, who is driving like that? And sure enough, I guess he heard the radio call from us. And he comes barreling down to where we were. He knew where everyone was. And he comes barreling down and says, tell me, tell me what you saw. So we explained it to him. He chased it off, of course, coming in like that. Well, well, that's that's what we figured. But but I think it by the time I had radioed, it was already gone. It was there. I'm going to guess three minutes, maybe the whole encounter lasted with whatever it was. And, and I want to be clear: I can't, with any certainty, say what it was. It looked like eyes emitting light. It looked like eyes glowing, not eyes reflecting light. Not eye shine as we would see with headlights on a deer or a coyote or a cat. It seemed like eyes that were controlling the light. But I don't know that that's what it was. So, yeah, Matt comes barreling in and he rolls down his window. I walk up to the Humber and he says, tell me what, what happened. And so we, we all told him the same story. And he says, we don't like to tell people this, but these things can emit light from their eyes. And I just laughed at him. I literally just went, <laughs> sure. He goes, no, I'm serious. He says, we don't like to, to, to relay this information because people think it's crazy, but these things do that. And I just kind of went, whoa. And I had to you know, uh, think about it for a while and decompress from, from what he said. And there were other things that happened on that trip too. Before that, um, I was sitting in a lawn chair or camp chair with another researcher, and it was just he and I up on this mountainside and he started freaking out. We kept hearing something moving around our camp. Don't know what it was. Could have been a bear, could have been a mountain lion, could have been anything. He's, he's losing it. And I said, I won't say his name. I just said, you know, calm down. You're good. Don't worry. I've got, I got bear spray. You know, we can get in your truck. We're good. And he's like, no, something ain't right. Something ain't right. I said, well, let's just sit here and chillax. And it was moving around more. And all of a sudden, now, bear in mind that in 1997, I had spent two weeks by myself in the mountains of Bellacoola, by myself, and it was the scariest two weeks of my life. The scariest two weeks of my life. Nothing Sasquatch-related happened as far as I know, but I was surrounded by grizzlies, black bears, moose. I didn't know there were grizzlies there when I went in, but I learned when I came out that there were grizzly bears and black bears. It's one of those areas that they mix. And I didn't know that. Had I known, I probably wouldn't have gone there. I knew about the big, fat black bears that were there. And I saw all the droppings, saw all the signs of the bears. Never saw a bear. Saw some moose. Had a moose approach me. Anyhow, saw coyotes. But I I was a seasoned field researcher who feared nothing. Like, I was by myself without a cell phone, in deep in the mountains, 10, 11 miles away from the, the, the community of Bellacoola. And, but it was scary. Anyhow, um, so I wasn't really afraid of anything that was happening while this guy was freaking out. I was more concerned for him because it seemed like he was having an episode. So I just sat in my camp chair. All of a sudden, 
I went to get up and I couldn't move. I was literally frozen to the chair and it wasn't out of fear. I was, I was so calm and I turned to the guy and I said, I'm not, I don't mean to alarm you, but I can't move right now because he said, he said before this, he said, pack up, we're going. He's the one that I, I, I hitched a ride with up the mountain. He was part of the expedition. He said, we're leaving now. Pack up your tent. We're going. And I couldn't move. I literally couldn't get out of my camp chair. I could turn my head, but my legs and my arms were frozen to the chair. And I thought, this is really weird because I'm wide awake. I'm not afraid. I'm very calm, actually, but I can't get out of this chair. And as soon as he heard me say, I can't move, I've never seen anyone grab a tent so fast. He didn't even tear it down. He grabbed it and threw it in the back of his truck. And he hopped in there, and he's, he's ready to go. And I'm like, dude, can you wait for me at least until I can get up? So I was maybe frozen for 15, 20 seconds, and all of a sudden I could get up. I folded up my chair, uh, grabbed my tent, and he's saying, let's go now, 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 now. And I, I, I packed up fast as could be too. I wanted to stay, to be honest, but he was not having any of it. And he said, you're going to shine. He had this huge flashlight. He said, you're going to shine this all the way out the back window as we drive down the mountain. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> so we, we went down the mountain and uh, we met up with some other people. Um, that was one of the things that had happened uh, along with the uh, whatever shining of whatever it was that I just told you about. But anyways, um, there was another thing that happened on that, uh, on that expedition too, which was bizarre, where basically – uh, again, I was, I was paralyzed, but knocked unconscious. Uh, me and my part, my then partner were both like put out. So she was awake. I was awake. We were waiting up cause something was moving around her tent. And next thing I know, she's out like a light snoring, sawing logs, as they say. And I'm thinking that's weird. So I nudge her and there's nothing. I'm going, this is really weird. Cause you know, we, we were, very well rested. The plan was to stay up late. Um, and she's out like a light somehow. Meanwhile, something's moving around her tent. I have no idea what it is. And next thing I know, she's elbowing me in the side saying, get up, Todd, get up. There's something pushing down on her tent. And I looked up and you could see the outline of a hand, a very large hand pushing down on the top of the tent. We both saw it. There was some lost time in there. I, I said to her, I was not asleep. And she said, you were snoring. I said, you were snoring. She goes, I wasn't asleep. So it was so weird. I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard things like this before. There was just a lot of uh, weird things like what I described. And the year before, I did not attend the, the, the year prior's expedition. But apparently, and, and I didn't know this at the time, until after um, we were both seemingly knocked unconscious in our tent, we told it around, you know, you have the morning get together to talk about what happened the night before. I told the story and um, some people who were at the previous year's expedition said, oh, that happened. Same thing happened to so-and-so, um, you know, a few hundred uh, yards away from where you are or where you were camped. Same thing. Something was pushing down the tent, big hand. I'm like, wow. Interesting. I don't know what it was. I don't know. I can't explain how we were both wide awake with the intent of staying up. And next thing I know, my partner falls asleep snoring like crazy and the next thing i know she's elbowing me telling me that i fell asleep so it was weird just very weird um so that's what happened over there on the sunshine coast in ontario i've had rocks thrown at me was this when you were drumming uh, no no those are those are beer bottles <laughs> beer those, bottles those, right those are beer bottles yeah Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. In Pennsylvania, in the Allegheny State Forest, near the uh, notorious Jacobs photo site, uh, done a lot of research, research there. And funny enough, when after one of us urinates, we have rocks thrown at us at any time of the night. It could be... One time it was at midnight, another time it was three in the morning, and all of a sudden these rocks come flying through the trees. How close? Uh, well, close enough where we, we heard a thud. We heard it hit the ground, and they were big enough where you could hear a thud, and you, we just heard it sailing through the trees. At first, didn't know what it was. thought, okay, well, that's kind of a 
strange uh, way for a, an acorn to fall or a chestnut to fall. <laughs> it's sailing through the trees because you hear it. And then thump. So I would say uh, we never did find the rocks, but uh, I'm guessing within 50 feet of us for sure. And it happened on two nights in a row in Pennsylvania. It's happened in Ontario. And uh, I've been bluff charged twice in Ontario by something that I didn't see, even though I had a thermal on. Uh, whatever it was, stayed out of my thermal sights. I don't know how. Um, it happened twice within five minutes. And because of that, I'll probably never go back to that area by myself because the thermal for me is the equalizer. I can see a black bear. I can see the deer. I can see the coyote. I can see the pack of wolves. Whatever this thing was that sounded like a tank running towards me when I was by myself just after midnight, after I did a food drop, which I'd been doing for a few weeks, and then I would do like a whistle to, to indicate that the food's been dropped, whatever it was, wasn't happy, and it came running at me. And you can imagine my heart stopping. And uh, at the time, my thermal wasn't on. I you know, click a switch and it's on. And it was the old X200 XP with, uh, um, you know, those, right? And so so I, I had to fire up the, the DVR as well, the digital video recorder. And it takes a few seconds. And you can imagine me fumbling as, as I hear this thing crashing through the woods towards me. So my first thought, it's a bear. So I should be able to see it because bears show up as a big snowball on a thermal, as I'm sure you all know. Well, I'm not seeing any big snowball. I'm seeing nothing, not even a gray snowball. I'm seeing the trees that give off a bit of heat. I'm seeing the rocks that give off a bit of heat. I'm not seeing anything moving. Um, and I thought, okay, maybe I imagine this. How big were the trees and how far spaced were they? Well, at that, in that area, the trees, they might be 60-footers, uh, mostly poplar, some maple, some oak. Um, mostly deciduous in that area uh, of that forest. And as far as spacing, uh, you know, there's some saplings in the mix. That's why it sounded so loud because it was crashing through the saplings. Um, and, and it wasn't the trees it was crashing through really. It was the saplings and any of the shrubbery and bushes and stuff. Two foot diameter down at the base of something like that? Uh, no, uh, the, the saplings would probably be a little smaller than that. It, like 18 inch across i mean was it big enough where something could hide behind it um well the trees were big enough something could turn sideways and hide behind it or or you know it could just lay in the ground i mean because i'm, I'm thermaling up above the ground right and and i don't know where this thing was when it stopped it just sounded really loud like a tank going through the forest and it was heading in my direction so i'm just thermaling around like a madman trying to figure out what it is and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hold the thermal with the DVR and my bear spray, too, thinking I'm going to get charged here. There must be a cub. I'm going to get charged by a mama bear. Now, this area, just so you know, this area is not known to have black bears in it. But black bears will go anywhere. But it's not really known to have black bears in that area. But my first thought is it's a bear. So I let it go. I backed away, started walking in the opposite direction. And now I've got to... To, I can either go all the way around the forest or I can go back the way I came to get to my car. So I kind of moved away from the area, um, maybe walked another five minutes and started heading back. And the same thing happened. I got bluff charged again. Now I know I've got to, I've got to go the other way. This, whatever it is, doesn't want me going this way. So I've got to go the long way. Now it's a long way. You, you're going all the way around to get back to the parking lot, to my car. So I'm thinking, oh, Jesus like how, like a mile? Uh, it's a couple miles for sure. And it, you know, yeah, it's, it's a couple miles at least. So I'm, I'm, I'm hightailing it out of there. Uh, so that was freaky. Also had a, an enormous tree. I'm talking a huge tree get shook. A buddy and myself, we spent the day through this area, you know, knocking on everything and making our calls and stirring up everything in sight. And we stayed through the night and, uh, yeah, we're sitting there on a log by the parking lot and we see, well, my buddy says, dude, don't move. There's a wolf like 10 feet in front of you. I'm like, yeah, right. He goes, look. And I looked and there's a wolf 10 feet in front of me, just staring at me. Now turns out it was a, a three quarter, uh, mixed wolf and domestic dog that this lady walks back in this area pretty much every night. She's got two of these three quarter wolves and a little tiny 
other dog. She says she can't she can't walk them anywhere else, so she takes them back here. And uh, so that was her 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 dog checking us out. Her 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 dog wolf mix checking us out. And we see her in the distance with a with a pin light, like a flashlight. So you know we kind of say, hey, a uh, couple guys standing over here. Is this your dog? Uh, slash wolf and she's like yeah yeah don't move it, it might attack you <laughs> so we didn't move uh, yeah i've got the bear spray ready so she makes her way over and she she secures her dogs in her truck and we start talking to her and now she tells us she comes to this area nightly so i'm thinking perfect because uh, this is what this was like the first time i was in this area so she tells us about these strange things that's happened to her and so this is really intriguing us and as we're talking her dogs start barking and growling viciously. And she's thinking, well, they're just upset because I'm talking to you. But the dogs were fine for the half hour we were talking. But after about a half hour, that's when they start freaking out. And then um, my hearing's not the best because I'm a drummer and, you know, drumming, uh, you know. So um, uh, my buddy that I was researching with that night and this lady, they say someone's walking up the pathway. Now, it's about 3.30 in the morning. So really, I was thinking, who would be walking down the pathway? And part of the pathway is gravel. So they, they heard this person crunch, crunch in the gravel. I didn't hear it, to be honest. But I heard the tree shake because all of a sudden they said, oh, it stopped walking. And we're thinking, who, who else is back here? Like, it's, it's bad enough this lady's back here. We thought this was a quiet area. Who, what's going on? Now all of a sudden it's uh, Grand Central Station. So the dogs are freaking out. Something shakes a huge tree we went and looked at the tree later we were maybe 100 feet away from this tree the tree shook like it was like a vine like it was a, a sunflower like like you or me just grabbing a sunflower and just shaking the plant it was insane and it made a huge noise too um and we're, we're thinking what is going on here so we could only deduce that there may very well be sasquatch in that area maybe passing through because she told us some other stories too that rang true with Sasquatch activity, um, at least what we perceive as Sasquatch activity. And then whatever it was, after it shook the heck out of that tree, it proceeded to sort of uh, like walk around on, 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 on the perimeter of the parking lot, out of sight. And at the time, I didn't, I didn't, I'm trying to think, I didn't have a thermal then. Or if I did, I, I, maybe I, yeah, you know what, I, I had... I don't think I had the thermal because that was the first incident that happened in that area. That's why I started going there to do the food drop and researching. So I did acquire a thermal eventually. So that's why I said, you know, I had my thermal when this thing bluff charged me. But before that was when the tree shook, tree shake happened. And this lady told us these stories. So there's been a lot of stuff happened over the years. Uh, but again, nothing that I can conclusively say without a shadow of a doubt is Sasquatch related. Isn't that the same with everyone though? Yeah, that's kind of that's how they roll, man. Nothing you can quite take to the bank, but you know, a lot of a lot of ifs and maybes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. What I what happened to me as far as I may have seen one was again in British Columbia, and it was on another uh, expedition, different year, and we were walking down this, these old uh, service roads, as they call them out there. They're quite wide, and they taper off at the sides for drainage. And there's all these. I'm trying to remember if it's salmon berries or or huckleberries. I don't remember. They're, they're huge berry brambles or berry bushes that are easily, easily up 10 feet. Like they, they grow really tall and they're, they're pretty gnarly to, to get through. Those would not be fun. They're very gnarly. And so we're surrounded by these on both sides as we're walking on this dirt gravelly road. And I've got my handy cam ready to go. It's ready to go in case, whatever, in case anything happens, it's always recording. And we come around a turn and all of a sudden, I catch something out of uh, the corner of my my eye on the left side. Just it's just like a like a ball of not a ball, but just it looked like a shoulder, like like a, a either a bear or a person standing, covered in hair, and it just literally went through those brambles like it was slicing butter, like warm butter, just cutting through it. It just literally parted the brambles. You could see them parting as it as it went through, almost like it swam through. And I'm thinking. That's really weird because a bear would be much lower to the ground. And remember, the road tapers off, so it was even lower than, than road level. So I'm estimating whatever it was was standing really tall, certainly taller than me standing on a raised road. But I don't know what it was. And we heard it 
um, crunching around beyond the brambles because we realized after, uh, because we got on higher elevation, we could see there was a clearing in the middle of those brambles. So whatever it was proceeded to crunch around um, in this sort of clearing, which was, you know, dead grass. So you could hear it crunching. Uh, again, don't know what it was, but the thing is, by the time I got my video camera swung around, it was, it was already through the brambles or at least in the brambles, but you could see the brambles. They were parting like it was swimming through water. It was weird. That was broad daylight, probably around lunchtime. So I don't know what it was. We were the only ones around there. As far as I know, uh, if it was a person, they were braver than I would be going through brambles. Very interesting. Very interesting. You still get out as much as you used to, or have you uh, tied up with other stuff? Well, you know, I, I'm as I mentioned earlier, there's one thing and only one thing I fear in the woods, and that is uh, deer ticks. So we have a huge problem in Ontario with ticks, and I have stayed away for the most part from going out in the woods, occasionally here and there, but not like I used to. I used to go every weekend without fail. In summertime, I was out quite a bit. Fall time, I, I, I would make it work with my work schedule and go out as much as I could, go to Pennsylvania, go to New York State, um, a lot in Ontario, of course, go back to BC. But no, in the past, I'd say three or four years, I've been pretty much dedicated to the Sasquatch archives and archiving because nothing's going to bite me if I'm sitting behind my computer. And, and also that's that's serious, important work that you're doing as well. Why don't you tell us how that started and uh, what direction you've been taking it so far? Okay, so remember the call I made to John Green back in 95, um, sorry, 90, yeah, 95, because I, yeah, I don't want to confuse it with calling Renee DeHinden in 97. So 95 uh, was, was when I kind of thought maybe I could make a connection with John Green, but I, I chickened out, but it, it stayed in the back of my mind, I've got to connect with this guy because he's, he's got so much information, there's so much history there, um, but I just really... I just felt like I was imposing on him. So I just kind of let it go. And I started working on, on, on a book series on researchers. And I'm sure I contacted everyone, uh, including Cliff and Bobo and Matt, about this book I was working on. Uh, and it dates back like 12, 13 years ago. And I was going to write books, comprehensive books, uh, all about researchers, Sasquatch researchers, and I did a lot of research on that. And, and John Green, of course, was one of the people I reached out to because I knew he had so much information and there were a bunch of names that were coming up. I couldn't find any information on them. So I, I would just reach out to John. I would email him, say, hey, John, sorry to bug you, but do you have any information on, say, John Furman? And he goes, yeah, I've got a whole file on John Furman. I said, oh, okay, uh, I hate to bug you, but are you able to tell me you know, when he died? Or, And finally he got tired of me asking him questions. He said, just come out. Just come out and go through my files. Because, you know, if, if, to do the research properly, just come out and go through my files. So I took that as an invitation. And so I made it happen. I got some time, uh, saved up some funds, and I flew out. You have to realize Toronto is a good five-hour flight from Vancouver then, then there's a drive from Vancouver to uh, – he was living in Agassiz at the time, which is very near Harrison Hot Springs. He was living in a retirement home or community. So uh, I took him up on the offer, and it was originally going to be, I think, for four days. That, that's all I could do. Now, I didn't say anything to him about, you know, hey, can I scan anything? Um, but I brought a hand scanner. And they're not the easiest things to use. But I, I really took uh, some pens and some note paper just to write notes, to go through his files and just get dates and get names and, and just see what's in his files. What other files do you have besides John Green? Do you have other researchers' files? Um, as a matter of fact, aside from John Green, yes, Chris Murphy uh, graciously um, handed over a bunch of materials to me. And with what he had was the John Furman files. Uh, not many people know John Furman. He flew under the radar, but he, in my opinion, was the glue between many, many researchers way back from from the early 60s onward until his uh, untimely death in the late 80s. So the John Furman collection is is amazing because he kept original newspaper articles. He kept uh, he was at the 1978 UBC um, conference, the first Bigfoot conference um 
formal conference. He he kept materials from that. Was he that cop in Bellingham? No, he was a postal carrier in um, uh, Seattle. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and, and Murphy, Chris Murphy does talk about him in his Sasquatch in, in British Columbia book. And that was the first time I'd heard of Furman. Um, he continues to to be a mystery because no one knows really how he died. He was a incredible um, violinist. And there's a video up on my, my YouTube channel, the Sasquatch Archives, that features him and shows some footage of him playing violin. And he was really, really fiddle, I guess. Uh, same, same instrument, but, you know, he was playing more fiddle music. Just incredible. World-class uh, uh, fiddle player. But... Um, he uh, he he just collected everything, and he was in contact with everybody, and he and he really didn't take sides with anyone. So he was able to you know converse with Byrne and DeHinden and Green and Krantz, and and unlike you know Green and DeHinden had their moments, and of course Byrne and Titmus had their moments, and Byrne and Green and Byrne and DeHinden had all their moments, and they didn't communicate for for a long time, but but Furman communicated with everyone. So what he has is a treasure trove. Uh, initially his files went to Grover Krantz. Then Krantz said, I don't know what to do with this. So he get him, gave him to Green. Green said, I don't know what to do with this. So he gave him to Murphy. And Murphy organized it quite nicely. And then when he kind of retired, he said, Todd, I would love for you to have this. And I read through every one of his letters, and there's hundreds. And I summarized all the letters. And then I um, summarized it, ca- uh, cataloged them all by date, and uh, and then I also did the uh, indexing of them. So if he mentions the word uh, trail, like Trail BC, I would I would index that. Um, took a lot of time. I did the same thing with Green's files, but yeah. So I've got Furman's, Murphy's, Green's, and I've got a couple other researchers who wish to re- remain anonymous. They don't want it known that that their files are not in their possession. Um, so I have to respect their privacy and their wishes to remain anonymous. And then, and then I'm getting stuff here and there. Jamie uh, Wayne sent me some stuff. Um, Blaine Mathis sent me some stuff uh, and others too. So I, I'm, I'm grateful for anything that anyone sends me because I'll put it up on YouTube eventually. What percent have you published and how much have you gone through? Have you gone through a lot that you haven't published yet that's all categorized and organized? Or like how much work do you have left because you've done so much already? The work with Greens, specifically Greens file, it's the largest. There's there's literally nine thousand, just shy of nine thousand files. That means individual papers that were scanned, or photos, uh, or or negatives or slides that were scanned. So just under nine thousand. It's eight thousand nine hundred and something. And then something like I, I divided it into five hundred. Just again, just under five hundred file folders. That stuff took me three years. Three solid years, nightly, and I and I'm not exaggerating. Nightly, a minimum three hours a night. Weekends was was double that to read through every single letter, to summarize the letter, um, and then to index it. So the index alone is it's just, it's insane. Now these are letters, and the vast majority of people could couldn't care less could care less about the, the letters. It's boring stuff. For me, it's 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 wow it's something that i love to read i love the history and, and i'm sure you guys do too but the average person could care less and i can see that on the channel they they, they want the, the the sensationalistic stuff um they want the controversial stuff they don't want the here's a letter from 1938 that jw burns wrote they don't want that stuff um it's the nerds like us that that like that stuff so i've only put a very small portion of john green's and i mean less than half a percent of john green's maybe even less than than like 0.001 percent of green's letters on youtube i've only put some of the ones that that weren't available I realize that some of the burn stuff the dehinden stuff the cran stuff it's been put out before some of it um at least the the main pages or letters rather that people are most interested in things that 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 were during the crucial years, like the 1958 years, uh, of course the 60 61 um, the Pacific Northwest expedition years, and then 67 what was available concerning the Patterson Gimlin film and the Ivan Mark stuff in in 69 and 70. That's what people really wanted because that's the stuff that gets all the the attention and the Osman stuff and the Rose stuff. People have seen the affidavits, they've seen all that stuff. So, but eventually. 
you know, hopefully all of it will get out there somehow. YouTube seems to be right now the safest way to do it where it won't get pulled down. Um, and, uh, you know, there's not a fee that I have to pay to, to maintain a website. Uh, it's just YouTube's not the best platform for reading files because you have to pause it and go full screen. Um, and when I make the video, I have to make sure that, you know, I'm showing the whole letter. And then uh, if the letter's oversized and I have to show sections, it's a, it's a bit of work. Um, but it's something for me. It's a labor of love. Uh, but to answer your question, a thousand words or less, Bobo, I know you got to go probably. But um, to answer your, your question, uh, very little of the green stuff has, has made it up on the channel. But there's a lot of TV shows that I got from like Larry Lund. Um, and Gene Robinson, I uh, just acquired 1500 plus podcasts dating back to, uh, the beginnings of podcasts, stuff that's been lost forever that thankfully Gene Robinson, if you don't know that name, he's, he's wonderful for, for archiving stuff. He just didn't have a, a platform to release it. Um, so he, he, he passed it over to me. And so I'm making that available. You may have seen the Bobby short, uh, interview that I, uh, posted recently. And there's much more to come. Some of it I can't because of copyright issues and things like that. But um, uh, I hope to to make as much public as I can. You're doing the Lord's work, Todd. <laughs> thanks, Bobo. Thanks. I was gonna say I gotta take off, you guys. I gotta I gotta take off. I gotta go meet the film crew for that documentary. I'm running late. But uh, Todd, it was awesome. I've, we're we're so stoked to get you on because Cliff, I, Matt, and a bunch of our buddies are huge fans of that page you're i mean you're just selfless the amount of labor and time you put into it it's unbelievable and i just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart thank you very much well thank you bobo thank you so much uh, i can't take uh, much credit because without people donating stuff or making it available there would really be nothing for me to present so i, I have to thank the uh, all those people who have contributed and been gracious uh, with with sharing that stuff well, i gotta make sure to send a donation into that channel you know, I, I appreciate that, but don't worry about that. You know, I, I do it out of love, um, so it's all good. All right, Bobes, it's a shame you got to get going, man. We're going to have Todd back on at some point, I think. I was going to say that was a great part one because we're going to be about a five-part series on this thing. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a treasure trove of information and stuff. And Todd, thank you so much for uh, sparing a little time for Cliff and Bobes. We really, really appreciate it. And people need to listen to this. Uh, what you're doing out there. The Sasquatch Archives channel on YouTube is like – probably top of the heap as far as um, historical, accurate, cool, nerdy Bigfoot information. The Sasquatch Archives. You got to check it out. And thank you, Todd, for doing it. Thank you, guys. I, I enjoyed my time here and I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. We're going to have you back on soon, Todd. And by the way, there's nothing nerdy about this. It's damn cool. <laughs> Thanks. Well, folks, that was the first part of our multi-part installment of Todd Prescott, the curator of the Sasquatch archives on youtube it's you got to check it out it's awesome and cliff i gotta get running but until next week all you people out there thanks for tuning in and keep it squatchy thanks for listening to this week's episode of bigfoot and beyond if you liked what you heard please rate and review us on itunes Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 